So I was off last week. Thanks for letting me be gone. I was supposed to be in the Boundary Waters on Sunday, but I was actually at home doing art with my children, which was also a welcome break. Um, but Linda was here, so Linda, if you listen to the podcast, thank you. Loved it. And to the rest of you, I find out, uh, people tell me, you know, they go to college and they're like, oh, thanks for the podcast, whatever. If you're listening to the podcast, this is for you. We love you guys. We miss you. Carry on. Okay. I was a freshman in high school, and uh, I went to youth group all the time. I was essentially the youth group mascot of our church. I knew all of the answers to all of the questions. I had been going to church since I was about, I don't remember, this particular church, second or third grade, we made the switch there. Went to every junior high thing, every senior high event, all the retreats, the skate parties, not like let's do an ollie, but more like Skateville, you know, two, four, four, uh, four wheels on each foot. Sorry. Uh, so I went through the whole deal, and, and, and it was the summer after my freshman year of high school, and I went on a trip to Chicago. Now, some of you have heard bits and pieces of this story, but I want to highlight a particular portion of it this morning. Uh, it was called SEMP, which was Sun Life Evangelism Missions Project, and the goal of SEMP was essentially to train young students, uh, like myself, high school students, to do evangelism with their friends. And so it was a week-long deal in Chicago, and I still remember the, the memory verse that we did, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw us everything that hinders us. I remember the whole deal. It was a great week. It was awesome. But there was one particular piece of it, looking back, that I'm kind of like, man, that really shaped me in a formative way and in a way that I'm not totally comfortable with. Um, because this is what I remember. Evangelism looks and feels like this. You have a, uh, probably about this big, little tab of paper, uh, a little bigger than an iPhone, and on it, it's got four questions that say, you know, this, that, and the other thing, the last question, you know, about spiritual things like, what do you think about God? Uh, if someone were to die or ask you, you know, spiritual advice, you get the point. The last question was, if, if you want to, do you want to know more about Jesus? And so the, 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 the idea was you walk up to people on the street and wherever they might be at a park, uh, downtown, on a beach, wherever, and you, you say, hey, can I ask you a couple of questions? And so you go through this little survey, but it's really, you're really not interested in asking any questions. You really just want to get to presenting the gospel, which is, of course, Jesus died for your sins. If you accept him as your personal savior, then you can go to heaven and not hell when you die. Um, and so this was, uh, uh, this is what we did and we would go out on the streets and, and I remember this is what it looked like and this is what it felt like. I remember being absolutely terrified. I mean, just like sweating as a 90 pound freshman in high school. That's not funny. Uh, sweating and I didn't have a lot to sweat, right? I mean, I remember just being scared out of my mind, shaking, um, heart racing, like you can hear it beating in your ears, that kind of a thing. And this was my, looking back, my exposure to evangelism. This was my introduction to evangelism. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one in the room that feels this way. But if you're anything like me, it's kind of caused that and a number of other experiences that I've had since then have sort of given me an aversion to the word and the concept and the idea of evangelism. Tell me I'm not the only person in the room. Okay, a couple of you. Um, this is my conviction, though. 
if this remains to be the case, where we have this kind of aversion to evangelism, and, and, and it's sort of a dirty word almost in our culture, if this remains the case for us at Awaken, I think it remains the case at our peril. I think that if we don't figure out a way to live into this word and this concept and this idea of evangelism, that I, I really believe that it will significantly, it will have a significant negative impact on our future and the future of this church. I believe it with all my heart. If we don't figure this out and we don't figure how to live into this and, and, and not get hives when we talk about it together, then, then we're in deep trouble. Radiate, this particular series, is an attempt to deconstruct and then reconstruct a theology of evangelism for us as a community. Because I think that if I'm not the only one in the room that has these kinds of feelings when we talk about evangelism or when we see evangelism happening in our culture, uh, if I'm not the only one in the room and, and we've got to figure this out, then we, I wanted to spend some time right out, of the, right out of the gate in the fall this year to do some really, I think, important and sometimes difficult work of deconstructing something that we maybe have heard a lot about as um, church people or, or maybe you're not a church person but you still know what evangelism is. And then reconstructing, because deconstructionism is only so good, right? Postmodernity is only so good. You can only deconstruct so much before you become a cynic and someone who nobody likes to be around. Uh, so I want to do some positive work. So Radiate is a series that, for me, is about trying to see differently, think differently, live into differently this idea of evangelism. And these two images kind of help me. So can we throw that first image up there, Katie, if you would? Um, I can't see that very well, so I'm just going to come down here. For me, as I think about evangelism, my past, and, and how I think the culture at large views evangelism, especially when it comes to religious people, this is kind of what I think, uh, this is the image that I get, right? Even over on the left side, uh, it's not terribly, um, it's not like the one in the middle, but it's still like street evangelism. It's, these people have no relationship with each other. It's like a college campus. Uh, obviously, the people on the left with the pamphlets are the Christians, uh, this is the worst case scenario over here on the right and in the middle on the bottom, right? It's somebody else telling everybody, here's how it is, or worst case, uh, somebody with a bullhorn yelling who knows what from the corner, okay? I think we need to deconstruct a little bit of this. And I think, I hope, and I pray, but I have a real strong conviction on this, that this next image, that we can be faithful to scripture and have this kind of an image in our brains instead of these, it's a little yellowed out, but um, you got, can you guys see that? You remember when you were a small kid and your feet were just frozen in a Minnesota winter and you'd come home, and uh, those, for those of you that had, that had radiators, you'd take off your, your, your shoes and put your little toesies in between the radiator, right? And it would just like warm your soul. It would just emanate heat. And I want to I wanna take this image and this metaphor and work it through where we're going in the next couple of weeks Today, we're not going to quite get to that, so I'm going to ask you to just hang with me. But, disclaimer, before, I, before we even jump in, this whole series, this whole, all the work that we're going to do, I'm going to be speaking in broad terms, and there are exceptions to every rule. So I'm going to say things that I think hold some weight, that I think are, are true for the vast majority. There are always exceptions to every rule. So please don't say, oh, well, that's not true because I know so-and-so and they think this way, or that's not helpful, okay? Um, and, and, and more than that, 
God uses all kinds of crazy things, right? God spoke through an ass, a donkey in the Bible. Uh, he's continuing to speak through them now, a days, at times. Um, even the worst case scenarios of evangelism, which I'm sure you've heard of, or, and we're going to actually have an opportunity to share a little bit about, uh, even the worst case scenarios of evangelism, God still chooses to use sometimes. So the airplane thing, the, 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 the elevator thing, when it's like everybody's standing on the other, and then somebody goes, okay, the reason I've called this meeting, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, no, not that guy, right? Even the worst case scenarios, God can still use, and God does use, Okay. But I believe that we, as a, as a community and as Christians, have a responsibility to take the experiences that we've had with Jesus and the information that we've got about him and do the best that we can with it. That we don't walk out there willy-nilly and make a total monkey of ourselves and the church because we, we, we're doing it uh, culturally, irrelevantly, or, or irreverently, or for any number of reasons, okay? So that's my disclaimer that I want to start with. And if at any point you go, but God still uses that, I'm just going to go like this, okay? Listen to the first five minutes of the first message of the series, because that's my disclaimer, okay? So, with having said that, now, what I want to do today is I want to I talk about why we even need a series on evangelism, as I believe, uh, and then do some deconstruction of evangelism is not this. And then in the, the weeks following, I really want to reconstruct. So we're going to talk about what is evangelism theologically from the scriptures, what, what, what does it even look like, and then practically, what does it look like for us at Awaken? Does that sound good? All right, so here we go. Um, Let's jump in. First and foremost, why do, we, why do we even need a series on evangelism? In Matthew 28, it, it actually says, and Jesus actually is quoted, and I believe this actually happened. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So here's the thing, friends. Awaken is about, Awaken is a community that's trying to do church and be the expression of Jesus' community in the world in a particular way because we live in a particular place. So we want to talk a lot about uh, doing things fresh and doing things new and doing things imaginatively, theology and life together and what does it mean to be the church. We want to be having those kinds of conversations because it's our conviction, it's my belief, that the world that we live in demands an imaginative version of the gospel because often for many of our friends, what they've experienced has left them wanting. Okay, That's where we live now. And so we want to be having these conversations often. But here's the thing. I will not, and we will not, we refuse to compromise on what we want and what we seek to hold at the center, which is Jesus. At the center of this community has to be and will be, so long as I'm breathing in here, will be Jesus to the best of my ability, to the best of our ability. At the center will be the teachings of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and in fact, Jesus says, go. So why a series on evangelism? Because it's a commandment. Because Jesus says to his followers, this is something you should do if you follow me. You should be out. You should be able to give reason for the hope that you have in me. It's a command. It's not an option. So for those of us that say we're Christians, those of us who say we follow Jesus, why would we do a series like this at a, at a church uh, on evangelism? I think first and foremost, because if Jesus is going to be at the center, then we have to talk about this. Secondly, uh, the, the end goal of Awaken is maturity. Like what we're after, what we're hoping for, when we come and we gather and we do this and we sing songs and we, we look at the scriptures and we teach and we, uh, we 
do life groups together and we serve together. The, the byproduct, the hopeful end goal of this is maturity. People who know Jesus, who are coming to know Jesus, and who are continuing to know Jesus, who are becoming awake to who Jesus is in their lives, and who are maturing in faith, who are actually taking steps and growing in faith. We talk a lot about demonstrate and announce. This is kind of the language that we've couched what we believe Jesus has called us to do here now, particularly Awaken in 2011. So these are words that we talk about all the time. You could miss the fact that below that, underneath that, what's assumed by demonstrate and announce is something that we believe about experience. I believe experience is the best teacher. I could, and it's not the only teacher, but I believe it's the best teacher. Because I could sit here, I could stand here, I could move, I could pace here, and I could tell you all of the things that you need to know about maturity and what does it mean to be a disciple. And we could talk about from the scriptures, this is what it looks like, and here's how you should act, and here's what you should do, and you could take notes and all that kind of stuff. And all that would be good. But I think you'd be a knower. You'd, you'd, you'd have knowledge about what it means to be a disciple. It's not until we experience something that knowledge becomes learned behavior and a part of who we are. That's what we're after. So demonstrate and announce is as we demonstrate what we believe God has done in our lives, as we live into that, as we, uh, as we announce who Jesus is, coupled with teaching on Sunday morning and serving in life groups, all of this mixed together is a cocktail that I think opens us up to maturity, opens us up to growth, opens us up to moving along in our faith as we follow Jesus. So the end goal of Awaken is maturity, and maturity looks like, here's just a couple of, uh, if you're sitting there thinking, well, what, what is that, Mike? I, I, hear, I jotted a few things down. I think it learned, you learn to treat others better than you treat yourself, or not better than, you learn to treat others as you treat yourself, right? It's the golden rule. You, you learn to, uh, you're, those of you who are married, your marriages look different than those who don't have Jesus at the center. For those of you that aren't married, your relationships look different than others who don't have Jesus at the center of them. They look very different. Right now, according to the stats in the polls, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter as far as marriage is concerned. Looks the same. I think that's, that's not cool. Uh, maturity looks like our relationships begin to look different. Uh, it means that we don't misuse and abuse things that aren't black and white in Scripture. One example would be alcohol. And we're going to do some work on this in a, in, a, in a series coming up. Suffice it to say, um, it's not a black and white thing in Scripture. Don't do this or don't do that. Those who are maturing in their faith are learning to not abuse and use things that are not black and white in Scripture. It means that getting drunk on the weekends is not something that you continue to do all the time. Maturity looks like our lives looking more and more like Jesus. And so, if evangelism is a part of the call of Jesus on our lives, then active participation in the proclamation of the gospel in both word and deed is a part of our life. It's a commandment. I think it's something about, about maturity is that we're actually doing this. And, and I'll say it like this, because why would we have a series like this? Because for many of us, there's a sour taste in our mouth regarding evangelism. We've had horrible experiences, I'm guessing many of us have. And, and if you've been around the church, or especially evangelicalism and Christianity, I think you would agree. Evangelism has often been misused and abused, and so we, I generally steer clear of it. Now, if you would, for just a moment, um, 
And I'm guessing there are some good stories, so please don't feel like I'm painting you all into a corner and saying this is how you have to feel about evangelism. I'm not, but those, I'm working with statistics and studies and sort of, you know, general cultural feel about this particular word. So if you would, take a moment, turn to some people at your tables, and talk just briefly, what have been, maybe share one uh, experience with evangelism, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Um, recognize there's a couple people at your table, so a five-minute story is probably not going to cut it. But just like something, uh, uh, one of uh, an experience that you've had with evangelism briefly, would just share with some people around your table if you would. Go ahead and do that if, uh, for a few moments. Go. All right. <clears throat> Maybe if I could draw you back. I'm curious. Uh, when I say the word evangelism, what are some of the thoughts, like one-word thoughts or feelings that kind of come to your mind? Just shout them out if you would. Confrontation, Confrontation? okay. What else? Yeah. Door-to-door. Door-to-door. Say it again. TV. TV. Yeah, sweet hairdos and awesome suits. That's what we're going for here, <laughs> as you can tell. Are you saved? Okay. Yeah. What else? Sales pitch? Anything positive? <laughs> you got negative Nellies here. Uh, boldness? Okay. Yeah. Conversation. A couple others, maybe? Good or bad? Unnatural? Yeah. Awkward. I would add to that sometimes. Yeah. I, th- I think it's suffice to say that there's a, l- there's a range of emotions and feelings and experiences that we've had when it comes to this particular topic. And again, just to reiterate, uh, I think that we've got to figure out a way to approach this, to talk about it, to do this in a way that's culturally sensitive and make sense with where we are in Midwest, Minnesota, Twin Cities, 2011, all of those things in mind, but that's faithful to the call of Jesus on our lives. And that's what I hope that we kind of uh, progress towards and work through. So this morning, I want to just say a couple of things about evangelism is not dot, dot, dot. Uh, hopefully we'll dispel some, some of the things that were even shared, uh, maybe some of the feelings that we've had. Uh, I want to let you off the hook in a lot of ways, and I want to put you on a different hook, okay? Um, because I don't want to let us, I want to let myself off the hook, but I think that there's some unpacking that we've got to do. Uh, we've got to figure out some of this baggage before we move forward. So we're going to do that this morning. It may feel a little incomplete. It may feel a little negative. It may feel a little, not sarcastic, hopefully, but um, cynical. Uh, please stick with us over the next couple weeks, and I promise you it will get more encouraging. But evangelism is not, number one. I would submit to you that evangelism is not converting people. Uh, And this is very subtle and it's very nuanced what I'm about to say. So I want you to listen very carefully. Tune in if you have hearing aids, turn them up. Uh, I would submit to you that often the focus of evangelism, the focus of evangelism is the conversion of the person that you're talking with or to. And by virtue of the focus of evangelism, then the goal or the point of evangelism becomes conversion. So if conversion doesn't happen, evangelism doesn't happen. 
evangelism equals conversion. And I think that that is a misunderstanding, a gross misunderstanding. Now, evangelism does and should include people coming to know Jesus, uh, converting, repenting, turning their lives over, however language you want to use. But who is responsible for this and what our role in this process comes front and center? When, when evangelism, uh, when the focus is conversion, when this is the case, I think it's very easy to slip into a place where we believe our role then in evangelism is to get people to convert, repent, be saved, cross the line of faith. And again, I would say this is a misunderstanding and a misappropriation of the word and our role in the whole process. And we'll get to more of this. I had a uh, one story that kind of illustrates this for me. I was a youth pastor for almost 10 years. And I was on staff at a church in Burnsville for a while as a youth pastor. And, you know, as a youth pastor, you do all kinds of events. Uh, and this is, you know, tapping into sort of the classic youth ministry model where, you know, if you build, it's like Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come, right? If you create an event and you have enough pizza and enough Mountain Dew, the kids will come, friends. They will flock to your doors. You get some guy or gal who's up there who just makes an idiot of themselves, play some stupid games that make everybody laugh, tell them about Jesus, get them to cross the line of faith. That was kind of the model of youth ministry for a long time. Being schooled in that, that's kind of what we did for a while. And so we would do these events where we would try to gather all these kids together, whether it's the Super Bowl or Skateville or some other party or whatever. And you get all the kids together. And, uh, and, and so we would do these. And, and as we re, uh, sort of looked back on them, as, as we um, reflected on them in staff meetings, there was one particular person who would always ask me, did you seal the deal? And I got to be honest, the first time I heard it, I was kind of like, I'm not sure how to respond to that, and I, I have a real hard time telling people what I think. <laughs> and so I just kind of went into it, and I said, listen, what, what do you mean did I seal the deal? Like, is this a sales pitch? Is this, am I, like, like, these kids are here, and they've got, they, I have something that they need for their lives to be complete, which may be true theologically, but when you frame it that way, it just cheapens it, right? I mean, am I, am I, am I then the sales guy? Like, the greasy, slimy sales guy, the used car salesman guy, who's like, you, you need this, and here's how I'm going to spin it and make you feel something, and then bring in the gospel and make you cross the line and seal the deal, that's how I felt when she asked me that. I was just like, oh, gosh, I just need to take a shower. I feel dirty. And, and <laughs> let me say it this way. I don't think our role in evangelism is to get people to change their mind. I don't think that's your job. I don't think that's my job. I don't think that's the church's job. I think it's very different or to get them to convert or cross the line of faith. I think we have a very different role, and as we unpack this theologically next week, scripturally, I think we'll get to that. But for today, I guess I would just say, um, I want to reconstruct this or deconstruct this idea to say that evangelism is not a sales pitch. It's not about converting people primarily, and that's not our role in the, in the whole deal. So first, I would say it's not about converting people. Secondly, I would say it's not relegated to one particular style. Somebody mentioned like street evangelism or confrontational evangelism. I think, and going back to my story that I started with, when we think about evangelism in this word, I'm guessing a particular something comes up in your head. Maybe it's an image, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's an experience. 
And I think we, we sometimes, and this is certainly true for me, where I thought that evangelism has to look this way in order for it to qualify as evangelism. In order for me to be faithful to what Jesus has called me to do, I have to do it this way. Uh, there was a particular guy, many of you might recognize his name, as a pastor of a really big church. His name's Bill Hybels. He wrote a book a while back, and he, he sort of broke down different styles of evangelism. I'll just share a couple of them. Um, there's six that he talks about direct, like this is Peter in Acts 2, where he says, like, repent and be saved. This is what you need to do. This is who Jesus is. Repent. Um, Paul on uh, Mars Hill in Acts 17, where uh, Hybels calls it intellectual. These are people who just love to talk about ideas and philosophies and, and conversation. Uh, so direct in, intellectual testimonial. Uh, this is John 9, the man who's born blind. He's like, listen, I don't know who Jesus, I don't know who this guy was, is all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. These are people who maybe have had a, an amazing story of conversion where they used to be one way and now they're another way and they, they just tell the story. Uh, he talks about interpersonal, uh, like these are people, some of you may have heard the term friendship evangelism. Uh, people who just do this in the midst of relationship. Relationship is absolutely critical and key. Um, personally, that's kind of where I land. Uh, invitational and then serving. People who, who serve, and, and there's a lady in Acts named Tabitha says she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, the last minute I felt was really clunky and probably not real. Um, you may have thought, oh, that's a little outdated, whatever. The point remains the same. Evangelism doesn't have to look a particular way. I think it has to look like you. And that's the point I would want you to take away. If you talk about, if, we, if we're going to spend time talking about evangelism and thinking about what does it mean to share faith that I have in Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who shares, uh, you know, 1 Peter 3.15, giving reason for the hope we have? What does it look like? I would want to encourage you to say, what do you look like? How do you do life? Do you, are you just like a gatherer of people? The crownies over here? These guys, by the way, they all go to crown. They bring more people to, the, to, to awaken than any group of people combined, than any other individuals combined. All of you combined, they bring more people. These guys are gatherers. They just gather people. If you watch uh, over the next month, you'll see like new people come with them almost every single week. I think they do this unbelievably well. If that's you, then just do that and work evangelism into that. If you are, it's about, this taps into hospitality. If you love to host, uh, if you love to just strike up conversation with random people. My point is this. It doesn't have to look like Billy Graham or it doesn't have to look like whoever you've seen, heard about, or thought, if I, have to, if I do evangelism, I have to do it that way. And that makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. I think it should flow out of who you are and who God has gifted you to be. Evangelism, I think it's not converting people. It's not relegated to one particular style. And I would say, lastly, it's not about winning souls. This one just gets me fired up. Man, let me unpack this. Um, I've heard people talk and they say like, the job, you know, like the church in the world is about saving souls. It's about winning souls for Jesus. It's about winning, you know, camp speakers, you know, you go there and you talk and they're like, well, we're about winning souls for Jesus. We're about people, you know, souls being saved. Okay. I get it, right? I do. I, I, I think I understand what's, what's being said, but I have some major problems theologically and it makes me really, really uncomfortable because there are, there are multiple assumptions 
right below that, that statement, saving souls or winning souls, that I personally, and I think we as a community are trying to sort of say, this doesn't really work or fit theologically or biblically. So let's figure out a different way to say that one assumption being that heaven after we die, which is some other place elsewhere, not a part of this physical world. It's, it's, it's spiritual. It's ethereal. It's floating in the sky that heaven after we die is the goal of the Christian faith. Gang, I hate to break it to you, but that is not biblical. Paul, for crying out loud, in Galatians, he talks about Jesus. He, talk, he says, listen, I want to know Jesus so that when I die, I get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. No, in fact, that's not what he says. He says, I want to know Jesus so that I can participate in his death and also participate in his what? Resurrection. Resurrection is the hope. I'm, I'm fast forwarding to Easter here. Resurrection is the hope of the Christian gospel, not heaven, some other place after we die. In fact, furthermore, if we're going to do some biblical theology, why do we believe that our post-death experience will be different than that of Jesus's, the perfect human, the new, the second Adam? Evangelism is not about saving souls because that's not biblical. I don't think Jesus talked about it. I don't think the Jewish people who this whole thing comes from even had that concept remotely near their thoughts. Second assumption is that saving souls creates this dichotomy between that which is sacred and that which is secular, that which is spiritual and that which is normal or everyday, that which is physical or spiritual and that which is physical. And friends, to essentially, when we talk about saving souls, evangelism is not uh, saving souls. It's not about winning souls because when we say that, what we are actually tapping into is a heresy of the first century and second century and third century called Gnosticism, which believed that the body, the physical matter, you know, stuff, that's evil and that which is good is, is spiritual in nature. And so what we're after, what we're longing for, what Jesus comes to save is souls. And the church refutes that in the first, second, and third century because it's not biblical and it's not true. The scriptures tell a story about Jesus who comes and dies on a cross, not so that our souls can be departed from our bodies some later on afterlife, but so that he can reclaim all that has been made, including your physical body, including the world that we live in, and reclaim it and restore it and remake it. That's the trajectory of the gospel story. Not saving souls when we die. So evangelism, when we talk about it, we have to... And I could go on and on and on and on, as you can tell, about this particular point. What I want you to hear is this. We are whole integrated beings and the gospel of Jesus speaks and lives among and within this story and this reality. There is no differentiation, no like departing of. Now, biblically, you could make a case that when you die, your body goes in the ground and to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, if you want to call that heaven, fine, call it heaven. But that's not the end. The end or what we're looking forward to is called resurrection when Jesus comes back and all who are dead in Christ are what? Raised, okay? 
and given remade bodies. This is, I mean, last week, Linda came and spoke, right, about, about uh, her daughter, Lizzie. And, and for me, like, this is, this is the hope of the gospel at work. Lizzie, I don't believe was, I believe Lizzie will be remade at resurrection the way God dreamt of her to be. That's the hope of resurrection for me. There are things that are wrong, that are broken in each of us, whether they be physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever. And some of that is inherited, some of that is learned, some of that is we're born with, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it should be. And the gospel comes in and speaks a word of hope that, guess what, that's not. And it will be made right, and it will be the way God intended it to be. Okay, bottom line, evangelism has got to be more holistic in scope in my, in my assessment. It's got to be a bigger gospel than when you die, your soul departs from your body, and then you get to go be with Jesus somewhere else forever and ever. Amen. There's a lot of great gospel songs that say that. I think they're good music, really bad theology. This the one I'm speaking of, is the kind of evangelism that we're after at Awaken. One that believes that Jesus' work on the cross actually speaks into the restoration of all things, which is what the Bible says. Those who are in Christ. Let me close with this illustration, and I think you guys may have actually got a preview of this as my wife was in this group. Um, not too long ago, neighbors across the street grew up going to church, want nothing to do with church, Neighbor around the way, believer, like, woo, believer. <laughs> I don't think I need to interpret. Walks in our neighborhood. We happen to have conversations weekly out in the, you know, on the boulevard, on the street. Um, one particular evening, woo, Christian lady was talking to disenfranchised, not really interested in church people, and had a disagreement, and one said essentially like, well, that's what I believe. And Christian said, well, then I think you're going to hell. I mean, essentially. And uh, about like this, you know, so thick you could cut it, the tension. And as my wife relays the story to me, I personally was not there. It's like I wanted to go over to the house next door and say, I'm sorry for what just happened. I'm sorry for the way that felt. I'm sorry for the way you were made to feel. I'm sorry for, on behalf of anyone who claims the name of Jesus, I'm sorry. Because I don't think that that was the kind of Christ we're to model and emulate. And, and friends, I say this knowing that I have been the one who have made the mistakes, okay? We've all been there. But I share this story to say this. I think we've all, I would I won't say all. I'm guessing that the vast majority of us in this room have an experience like that, where we can look back and go, if that's what it means to be a Christian, and if that's what it means to do evangelism, then count me out because that was insensitive, that was mean, 
that was judgmental, that was dogmatic, that was irreverent, that was fill in the blank, okay? I'm guessing that the, many of us have had experiences like that. And for me personally, evangelism has been something that has become a bit of a quasi four-letter word, right? It's like, especially in this whole, you know, new church, emerging church conversation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's like, let's just serve in the name of Jesus and let's just do good things and let's just hope that it works out. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that cuts it either. So we've got to figure out a middle, we've got to figure out a way forward. We have to figure out a way between the impasse of inappropriate evangelism that does not take into account people and feelings and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself and not saying anything at all. We've got to figure out a third way between those two options because neither will cut it for me. So that's the journey that I hope we're on and I pray that God speaks into as we move forward. As we close, I would just encourage you to think about a couple of things. Um, Jesus calls people who follow him to be, to be, we're it. Like, this is the option, the church, okay? Awaken, the church is up the street, around the way. Like, th there is no plan B, as far as I can tell. Now, further revelation may come. I don't think it will. That's a theological conversation. But th th this is it, right? The church, and you and I are for crying out loud, Paul says, you are an ambassador. Now, Christ, God has done something in Jesus, and he's now given this ministry, this idea, this peace to be an ambassador of this thing called reconciliation and restoration. He's given it to you and me. So what does it look like?